Hello, and welcome to the Federal Contracting Made Easy podcast, where we take the complex world of government contracting and break it into simple steps that any small business owner can master. Now, let me introduce your host, Nancy Byerly. Now, specifically, prime subcontractor agreement. Joint ventures and partnerships will be covered in another episode. And I've had a lot of people reach out and say, Nancy, can I use this to obtain my first government contract? And I've always said no. But I've been thinking about that. Maybe I was a little too rash. Maybe if your circumstances are like the following, then it might be a great way to do that. And that is if you have plenty of past performance, you have plenty of employees on hand, you have the resources, the working capital, you have the equipment, you have the you're able to purchase the supplies needed to be able to produce the product or provide the service, then this might be a great way for you to get your foot in the door. If you cannot do that, if you don't have the resources to be able to do that, then maybe not the way to absolutely go. And the main reason for me saying this is because remember that certificate of competency. Can you actually perform the contract? And we don't and we have to watch out for the ostensible subcontractor rule. We're really reliant on your subcontractor because you still have to perform your percentage of work requirements. And that's why I get a little antsy about saying yes when you don't meet all those conditions before. But remember, it's your business decision. So we always start off with the FAR, the Federal Acquisition Register, and where you're going to find information regarding this. Now, let's for those of you that are new and may not know or this may be your first video, the FAR is the contracting Bible in government contracting. There is 53 subparts to the FAR. Each subpart covers a different topic or section to that FAR. Now, nearly every agency has to follow the FAR. There's only two that are exempt, and that is the Federal Aviation Administration, otherwise known as the FAA, and the U.S. Mint. Each agency has the opportunity to add additional requirements and guidance in what's called a supplement to the FAR. For example, DOD has a DFARS, which is the supplement to the FAR for Department of Defense. These supplements do provide additional rules and regulations that you have to follow. So not only do you meet, have to meet the requirements that's in the FAR, you have to meet the requirements that's in the agency supplements to the FAR. The definition of a teaming agreement will be found in FAR subpart 9.6. That it's basically a contract between the prime contractor and the subcontractor. There's basically three options available. I've kind of hinted on this a little bit before. It's the prime sub, which is what we're concentrating today's episode on. It can be a joint venture or it can be a partnership. I'm really not going to discuss the partnership at all in any of the episodes because it'll be similar to the uh, joint venture. Remember, I told you that the regulations have to come from somewhere. And so the Code of Federal Regulations, otherwise known as the CFR, provides the guidance that goes into the FAR. So Title 48 of 9.602 will actually give you some additional guidance. So let's look what the Code of Federal Regulations has to say about the actual teaming agreements. And so it states that the contractor teaming arrangements has to be desirable for both the government and for the industry in general. These arrangements 
can complement each unique business capabilities and offer the government the best combination of performance, cost, and delivery for the products and services that they're seeking. And that's going to be a benefit to the government. Remember, the government's always looking for the lowest cost. So typically, these arrangements are formed prior to submitting a proposal. However, they can be done after contract award. You have to notify the government and let them know that you're doing a prime sub relationship. And you have to provide that information to the government. So let's look at the benefits of a teaming agreement. It basically limits the obligations to each party to that particular solicitation. And you can tailor the negotiations to that specific solicitation. It allows you to incorporate a variety of termination clauses in there in addition. Generally, a teaming agreement applies only to one solicitation. As a result, this limits the party's obligations to one another. Teaming members can tailor the negotiations into specific solicitation and incorporate a variety of termination clauses. Teaming agreements allow potential businesses partners who are unfamiliar with each other to try a small contract together before they venture into something bigger and form a joint venture, for example. So basically, each party is going to be responsible for their particular own proposal writing. They're going to write what they're going to do, and the other party's going to write what they're going to do. And then you're going to put combine those together and submit that as your proposal. And also remember that you have to comply with the limitations on subcontracting. Basically, you have to self-perform your percentage of work requirements. If both parties comply with the limitations on subcontracting, the parties will not be considered affiliates for business size standard calculations. Please note that if you submit your offer and then form a teaming agreement, the you must you must disclose that teaming agreement to the government before it can become effective. And you're going to want to see 48 CFR 9.603 for more information on those actual procedures. Drawbacks to teaming agreements. One, they're limited to only one solicitation. Whereas if you had formed a joint venture, you would have be able to do at least three contracts over a two-year period. The prime sub has to negotiate the teaming agreement for each solicitation. There's always the risk that neither party will come to an agreement on the terms and conditions. That's something that you need to be aware of and take steps to ensure that you can migrate those risks to the lowest level possible. The prime is the only contractor that can talk to the government. If you're a subcontractor, you really don't have the authority to talk and discuss anything about that particular contract. The prime is responsible for contract performance. This is probably the number one factor that I think most small businesses skip as they fail to perform the proper due diligence when meeting with a potential teaming partner. And the reason you want to do this step is going to help you eliminate risk. And that's something that you need to do. So let's look at that. So there's five steps to due diligence. The first step is to go look at your proposed partner and see if they are on the excluded party list. So they, if they are on the excluded party list, then they're going to be either debarred, suspended, or proposed for debarment. So if it's any one of those, then obviously you don't want to go into a teaming agreement with them. 
So you don't want to put yourself in that situation. So make sure you go to Sam and you can create here and you can search the records to be able to do that. And that's Sam.gov, by the way. The next step is to go in and review the teaming partner's past history. What have they done in the past? Can you validate that information? Call some of the references. Find out, have they been able to perform? Was there any problems? If there was a problem, were they able to take care of it to the satisfactory of the person that you're talking to? You need to go in and research that partner. That's part of the due diligence step. Let's go on to step three. Are they financially sound? Do they have the resources to be able to perform on the contract that you are seeking to go after with them? So if you're the subcontractor, how likely is it that that prime contractor is going to win that contract? Very likely, not very likely, that's going to have an impact on the teaming arrangement also. Step five, potential conflict of interest. If there's a solicitation and you know 10 companies are going out there, is your teaming partner one of those that is going out and maybe for a teaming arrangement with three other companies? to increase their chances of winning? If so, that's a potential conflict of interest. So my thoughts on teaming agreements. I have seen a lot of teaming agreements used as a pass-through for the subcontractor to be able to obtain control over that prime contract. That is probably why I'm so negative on a lot of things is because I've seen so many things happen in the past. As long as you take the steps necessary to migrate that risk, there's no reason for you not to form a teaming agreement. I view my job here is to educate you and provide you with the risk. It's up to you to look at your risk tolerance and to make a decision. Is that a risk you're willing to take? That is your business decision. So can, are they attempting to use you as a pass-through? Are they attempting to use your set-aside status? Can you perform the percentage of work that you have to on that contract? So, for example, general construction, you have to perform 15% of the cost of the contract with your own employees or similarly situated employees, excluding the cost of materials. If you're in specialty trade, everything's the same except it's 25%. And all others, it's 50%. So if you can do that and you can perform on that contract, then yes, you can you can go ahead and do that. But if it's any chance at all that this could be deemed as a pass-through or that they're just using your set-aside status, that's something you may want to consider and look at the risk factors associated with that. Remember, you have to provide more than just your set-aside status. Now we're going to discuss some of the clauses that should be put into your teaming agreement. First clause, you have to say who is the prime contractor and who is the subcontractor. It's pretty significant and something that can be easily overlooked, but you need to designate who is the prime and who is the sub. Second clause, you need to state the purpose and the scope of the agreement. Is How long is this agreement good for? What is the scope? Is the scope is for this one solicitation. You need to have a clause for confidentiality and proprietary information. Make sure you have clauses in there to cover those. Intellectual property. If you have any, you need to make sure that you have those protected and you include clauses to protect yourself from those as well. Fifth, who will handle the statement of work? So you need to divide that statement of work out among the companies. Who's going to handle what part? You need to have that and have that designated. 
Don't forget to do that. And that needs to be stated in your actual teaming agreement. Six, define the duration of the agreement and any terminations clause. So there's several termination events that's going to happen that's going to cause this teaming agreement to go away. The first is the award of the subcontract by the prime. Once that happens, this teaming agreement basically gets shelved. It's no longer beneficial, and you go by what's in your actual prime subagreement. If the award is made to somebody other than the prime contractor that you're going after. Cancellation of the solicitation prior to being awarded. Parties' inability to come to terms and conditions on the subcontract. Party is suspended, debarred, proposed debarred, or ineligible for the contract, then you're going to want to have that as a termination clause. Party has a conflict of interest that they cannot resolve. If they can't resolve it, that needs to be specified in your teaming agreement. How are you going to handle disputes? That needs to be specified in there in your agreement. Basically here, you want to limit each party's ability for seeking special, incidental, consequential, and punitive damages from the other party that are significantly over the potential sum of the contract. In other words, you don't want them to be able to sue you or go after you for more than the cost of the contract. In your teaming agreement, you need to have a clause for equitable remedies. That will be used if a teaming partner breaks or breaches the teaming agreement. You can put an injunction against that particular party. And that's what you want to make sure that you have it in there. Number 10, no assignment without clause. You need to decide how you're going to handle the ability of your teaming partner to assign the teaming agreement to a third party without your consent. So this is going to prevent you from being obligated to team with an actual competitor or an entity that you have not properly vented. So you need to have an no climate sauce in the actual agreement. And it also needs to specify if permission is required when there's a change in control, a merger, and acquisition. If any of those three things happen, then they need to ask you, and you need to have that clause in there that they need to ask you before they can assign that teaming agreement or let somebody else have access to that teaming agreement. Like I said before, you need to have it. You don't want your teaming partner to be able to bid with somebody else on the same contract that you're bidding with them on. So you need to be able to have something in place that says exclusively and non-compete. You also don't want that partner stealing your key employee. If you have a key employee and they come along and steal that key employee, that could hurt your business. So you don't want them to have that. So you need to put some protection in there for there, for that. And lastly, you need to specify the period of time that this agreement is going to be good for. A teaming agreement is just like writing your proposal. You need to identify and negotiate all proposed subcontract terms into the T into your teaming agreement. For example, types of contract. Is this a firm fixed cost or is this a cost plus fixed fee? What other payment terms? Is there milestone payments or are you paid monthly progress payments? You need to specify out the payment terms. Any contract duration and any key terms need to be specified into your teaming agreement. So you want your teaming agreement to be enforceable and as such, 
I would seek out an attorney if I were going to draft my first teaming agreement. You may be able to get away with a template later on after you understand everything that's necessary, but when you're first starting out and you're trying to protect yourself, always hire an attorney. It's going to be cost you less in the long run. And remember that contracting language has to be used, so it should have like a shall subcontract with subcontractor. And don't include good faith negotiations in there. So make sure that you put everything that's enforceable in there. And now you're going to want to define the responsibilities inside your teaming agreement. The last thing you want to have happen is to end up in a lawsuit and you go to court and the court says, well, I'm sorry, but this teaming agreement is vague and it's not defined. If that's the case, then you're going to lose out. You need to define the responsibilities to every section within that statement of work. Every section. Just don't take it for granted. Subcontractor pricing should be a clear breakdown of components, and they should all be included in that teaming agreement. Also, make sure you define the duration of the prime contract and attach the subcontract as an exhibit. Always, always, always amend the agreement when and if needed. Don't include the following in your teaming agreement. Provisions for termination based on failure to negotiate a contract. And avoid any requirements that are vague or one-sided. You want to have this as a benefit to both parties. Expectations. Remember, this is for educational purposes only. You need to hire an attorney. They are the ones that's going to know the law and going to be able to protect you the best. Always, always, always reduce your risk in business. So in conclusion, you need to vet your proposed teaming party. You need to perform your due diligence. Go through those actual steps. Define your teaming agreement. Hire an attorney and protect your business by reducing risk. We hope this provided a good basis for you to get started on your teaming agreements. 